I'm Aiden Madison. Welcome back to the Lore Lodge. <laughs> well done. I'm proud of you. Uh, we actually didn't have technical difficulties this time, assuming everything's currently working. <laughs> that, that's the bold assumption. Assuming that we they have can, to make. in fact, hear us right now, we yeah. don't have any te technical difficulties, which is wonderful. It's always nice when we can avoid problems. Yeah, I feel like that's becoming even even more common. It's nice. I don't know. Maybe we've actually figured out what we're doing. Um, what? All right. So, uh, Ian, what are we talking about today? That's a question I was going to ask you. Why do you not? Oh, my God. So, uh, <laughs> we're going to be talking about the case of Jim McGrogan. He is a man who went missing in 2014 under, once again, circumstances that honestly do not make any sense. And I told the whole story earlier because we were uh, shooting a, a recorded version of it. And d were you as confused as I was? Yes. It is... Very strange, um, and so we're we're gonna get through. Uh, we're gonna tell that story. We're gonna talk about some really cool uh, archaeology. Hmm. That uh, a, a story that is fairly recent. It's not brand new, but at the very least, uh, you know, I personally am very excited about it. It was uh, 24th of March that this story came out, but um, hmm. about uh, some ancient uh, Hebrew texts that were found in Israel that hmm. date to 1200 BC which is 600 years earlier about than uh, the previous oldest that we thought we had written Hebrew. So and that's uh, really cool. <laughs> and would you like to share the implication that that has? Oh, we'll share the implication that has. Um, and Archie is milling about behind me. I don't think he's visible. Oh, he is. He's slightly visible. But yeah, so welcome back to the Lore Lodge. We are vibing. We are having good times. Uh, we had some ramen. Oh, uh, what? Can you make that live so I can see it? I mean, it won't be live. It'll be like... Half life, but yeah. here I'll give you Seven. Oh, that, and then that's I'll even take better. Uh, see, this is this is what that all of this is at this there. point. Is we're just like uh, okay, Go there we go. So now I can actually read what's going on. Nice. So to get into this first bit of information, the disappearance of Dr. James McGrogan. Mm -hmm. uh, Jim here was a avid hiker, outdoorsman, snowboarder, mm -hmm. in great shape, thirty-nine year old medical doctor from. Uh, Indiana, or he was living in Indiana at the time, mm -hmm. planned a boys trip with the guys to uh, Vail, Colorado, mm -hmm. which for those of you who don't know, Vail is a very, very, very popular skiing destination, snowboarding destination, hiking destination for uh, people who are into outdoor winter sports. It's, you know, probably one of the most famous skiing areas in the world. Yeah, definitely um, in America. Yeah, definitely in the United least, States. Yeah. It is also in Colorado, which is the state that has the highest fatality rate from avalanches in the United States. Um, Unfortunate. Which, I, I don't know if that's just because so many people snow there, or snow there, ski there. Probably. That's probably a pretty strong correlation. It, it could easily be the uh, ice cream correlates to shark attacks argument where um because you know people are in the water on people hot days are in the water in the summer some you know um, yeah. yeah so but to get to get into this so part of the reason that this is a missing 401 case and not just a weird disappearance mm -hmm. is in fact uh the the search attempt it's not so much that he died it's not so much that he that he was found it's the actual disappearance itself that's yeah. very weird about this one the rest of it's weird, but that's the part that is particularly weird. Uh, also, mm. Kat says she's jealous of the ramen. You should be. Um, it was good. It was I, I was I was heavily craving it, so yeah. it was kind of a necessity. I, I introduced him to Uncommon Ramen. Shout out yeah. to Uncommon Ramen for any uh, nearby people. If you are near Phoenixville, Pennsylvania, check it out. They are phenomenal. Also, want to give a shout out to uh, our our follower, uh, Matthew. I am blanking on his last name. Um... But uh, the owner of Tableau Roasting Company, who oh. sent us oh, a yeah. whole bunch of coffee to try. We've tried one of them so far. We're going to work our way through the rest. What was they the one are, we tried? Uh, the Timor. Right. Yeah. Oh, my God. It was fantastic. Yeah, Thank I you so much. I enjoyed that. Um, you know, so we're, we're, we're going to work our way through those. But, yeah. So, Vail, Colorado. Uh, about 8,150 feet in elevation is uh, in White River National Forest. Mm -hmm. I want to point that out, because what do we always say about national parks? Well, 
Um, so, yeah, in White River National Forest, 8,100 feet of elevation, and the trail they were taking was to Eisenman Peak, uh, Eisenman Hut, which is a nine-mile trail from the mm-hmm. trailhead, and uh, it is, they were heading past that, actually, to a place called Camp Hale. Now, the, uh, the trail itself is pretty decently forested, not mm. too thickly, not so thickly that, like, you wouldn't be able to see anything on the top. Also, it's... Uh, coniferous trees, not deciduous, so they're mm-hmm. not as sprawling out. No. Um, so it's it's kind of like, yeah, a view would be obscured, but it wouldn't be impossible to see somebody. Um, Becca, we, we have a better shot of having uh, Christ himself on this show than Mattis checking the P.O. box. That did, in fact, come here. Uh, I have it set up to forward here. I don't know if it is. Oh. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, so, and I do want to point out, uh, between the trailhead... And the hut itself that they were traveling to mm. is an elevation change of about 3,000 feet. You're going from 8150 to 11,233. Mm. Uh, so we're hitting missing 401 points already here. We've got elevation change, we've got national forest. We're, we're already starting to get into the stuff that makes this a missing 401 case. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, the weather on March 14th, 2014, at 8.30 a.m. when they set off on their hike, which, by the way... Not imagine hiking at eight thirty in the morning. I would hate that. Well, I mean, I, I know that like you, you, I, I get it, but like I hate the morning. Valid. I mean, same. But well, when it's a nice morning, when you're already up, it's yeah. nice. But like, if you have to be up at a certain exactly. time, it's tough. I don't like waking up early. Yeah. Um. So when they trip when the trip started at eight thirty a.m., it was thirty degrees with some cloud cover and a gentle six mile per hour easterly breeze. So, you know, just a, a pleasant, nice evening, a nice afternoon. Well, nice morning, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, they hiked for about an hour and a half, and they covered about four miles in that time, which is indicative that this was a crew of hikers who were actually experienced and in good shape. Yeah. Um, for, for those who aren't yeah. aware, three miles per hour is your average walking speed on flat ground. Mm-hmm. So for them to be going three miles per hour... On an incline going up 3,000 feet in just nine miles. With, I would assume, pretty well-stocked packs. Yeah, exactly. They all were carrying... Uh, well, at the very least, we know that uh, that Jim was carrying a backpack and mm-hmm. his split snowboard. Um, mm-hmm. As well as, in the backpack, he had a first aid kit. He had warm clothes. He had food. He had water. He had a GPS, an avalanche beacon, and a cell phone, and possibly even more stuff in there. So he was stocked. So he was stocked. He was, like, ready to go. Yeah. Um, but that means that, you know, this is a guy who's in magnificent shape. If at 10 a.m., everyone else who just made it four miles in an hour and a half up a mountain Mm -hmm. wants to take a rest, and he wanted to keep going. Mm. And this actually pissed off his friends, because they wanted to go, they wanted to stick together. And they were like, come on, man, can't you just wait? Uh, He really wanted to keep going for kind of inexplicable reasons. It's important at this juncture to note that the evening, that in that at 8.30 a.m. he had sent his wife a text with a picture of him and the guys that said the adventure begins. Um, she would never hear from him again after that. Uh, but there is no indication that any of his friends had a motivation to kill him. Yeah. Also, re- considering they were all together, uh, it can't have been that just one wanted to do something to him. If there were an attempt to hurt Jim, it would have been all of them. And remind me what time it was that they wanted to stop and he wanted Ten. to keep going. It would have been an hour and a half. Okay. Which, covering, again, covering four miles uphill in an hour and a half is intense. That's yeah. hard. Um, you know, Especially we, depending on how steep it is. Yeah, yeah. We go to Valley Forge and go hiking sometimes and it's, you know, we don't cover four miles in an hour and a half. <laughs> so... Uh, at 10 a.m. when he... Also, uh, there was no evidence that he had any intentions of hurting himself. Uh, mm. From what everyone said, he was a great guy. Everyone loved him. He was a happy guy. Had no interest in uh, harming himself. Yeah. So, just to get out, that out of the way, mm-hmm. you know, that's the, there was no indication. So, yeah. at 10 a.m., uh, the time of the separation, temperature on in Vail, by the way, I don't know how much it was. I couldn't get distinct readings for yeah. various points on the mountain. But you can assume... Every thousand feet, you're going to drop like five degrees. Um, yeah, I believe it's every every hundred feet about a degree. Really? I think so. That's what I was told at one point. I let me check. Yeah, look it up. Um, but yeah, it's going to drop. You know, it, the the temperature's going to drop quickly. But it was 27 degrees Fahrenheit in Vail, 
and it was snowing pretty heavily at 10 a.m. Uh, this is information that, by the way, I this I want to point out this case. I did not use a single outside source except for I got the chronology from Strange Outdoors. Mm -hmm. um, but everything else, I looked up news reports and weather reports and all that. We actually did the research ourselves rather than taking any of the information from other people because we've had some instances where people have pointed out inaccuracies. Um, and I wanted to make sure that I went through and actually did the research and made sure that we got everything. So everything you're getting here is not from the Missing 401 books. It's not from Mr. Ballin video. It's This is the information from the sources, from the news sources and from the, uh, the weather reports. Uh, the consensus seems to generally be, uh, depending on the humidity, if it's mm -hmm. a dry day, it'll be about it's five a and a half. day. Yeah, so on a dry day, it's about five and a half degrees Fahrenheit per thousand feet. On a more a humid day, it's more of three and a half. Okay, so yeah, feet. it was between three and five probably. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so at this point, probably looking at closer to like 22 degrees. Okay. Um, which again, they were well-dressed. They, they were smart guys. Yeah. This is not going to be an issue for them. But it was snowing heavily when he walked off. But at the same time, it's important to note that this is in the mountains of Colorado. There were three to five feet of snow on the ground off the trail. The trail itself was compacted, hard, mm. pressed down snow from people walking on it constantly. Yeah. But if you were to go off the trail, you would immediately be in waist-deep snow. So if someone were to leave the trail, mm -hmm. you would notice. Yeah. Um, so 10 a.m. is the last time. 10 a.m. on March 14th, 2014 is the last time anyone saw Jim McGrogan. Mm -hmm. Nobody else on the way up mm -hmm. reported seeing him yeah which will be important later because as we talked about in the recorded version the there is no explanation um yeah. so he works his way up uh you know leaves everybody behind so um sorry i'm like trying to read without my glasses you're good so i uh, no it's fine it continued to snow lightly until 9.30 p.m. that night, but the exact uh, accumulation of snow I couldn't find. Mm -hmm. I couldn't find the exact numbers there. But we can probably assume it was reasonably, you know, a foot to 18 inches. Yeah. Uh, but, again, a foot, to 18, a foot to 18 inches is not enough to cover tracks in three-foot-deep snow. Mm -hmm. um, it simply would not. It would, That would still be visible, especially from the sky. Mm -hmm. So, uh, the group hiked you know, further up the mountain, and they got to their next planned rest stop. Jim was not there. So what they assumed was, all right, you know what? He probably just kept going. He's probably going to be up at Eisenman Hut. Not a big deal. Mm. We'll run into him there. They spent the rest of the day at a pretty leisurely pace getting up the mountain. My guess, based on how long it took them to get that first four miles versus the fact that after 10 a.m., it took them another, like, six to seven hours mm. to actually get to the peak. Mm. I'm guessing the reason that they were having issues is because Jim wanted, was moving much faster, mm. and they were probably moving much slower. So he was probably pushing them, which is why it probably took so long. Yeah. If Jim was going at that pace, he would have reached the hut by noon. Mm. So... The fact that they got up there around 4 or 5 p.m., didn't see him anywhere, and then alerted the authorities at 5.30, there's a significant, there's a seven-hour period during which he could have gone missing. Yeah. But we can assume if he had kept up his pace, he would have been there no later than 1. Mm. So he went missing sometime, he, he disappeared from that trail, most likely, sometime between 10 a.m. and 1 p.m. It is, of course, possible he decided to slow down later on, and it could have taken him, he could have been on that trail at 2, 3 o'clock in the afternoon. But it doesn't seem likely, given everything else. Mm -hmm. um, and again, to reiterate, for anybody who just joined, uh, Jim, very good shape, avid outdoorsman, avid snowboarder, uh, was carrying GPS, first aid kit, sleeping bag, avalanche beacon, cell phone. Uh, I read one report that said he had spare batteries, uh, food, water, and clothes. For those who don't know, an avalanche beacon is a two-way transponder that when you activate yours, it starts to pick up other people's mm. so they're constantly actually operating mm. but only once you activate yours to find somebody else's do you actually start like hearing anything getting a signal Got it. so they're constantly active but you only start to pick up on other people's when you turn yours on from what i understand Got it. um not quite the same thing as for example firefighters will have a uh, 
a device that starts to beep mm-hmm. when they've been motionless for too long. Yep. Which there's some pretty haunting footage from 9-11 of just like just the beeping of dozens of these things. Yeah, in the I, I can't remember what it's called specifically, but I, so for context, I looked into, I wanted to do volunteer firefighting for a period of time, and I still want to. It's just a matter of my time commitment when I can actually cool. do the opportunity, have the opportunity to do that. Uh, it's 30 seconds. Like, if, if you don't move for 30 seconds, you have to wiggle your butt because it's, it's positioned right on your lower back. So it's like, you know, it, it, at least in terms of that, because when you're in a firefighting scenario, Generally, if you're going into a structure fire, it is like, even despite fire being very bright, uh, the smoke almost always blinds everything immediately. Mm-hmm. You can't see anything in front of your face. They train you with the like type of visors that Luke does with the Star Wars mm-hmm. in Episode 4. Um, and if you like, even just in training scenarios, they put that on you because if you're like, there's training videos of people just going through confined spaces with blind things, and it's like their beeper starts going off, even if they're like moving mm-hmm. very minimally, and they just they are immediately told like, you know, don't forget to wiggle because mm-hmm. in those scenarios, when you hear that, you have to assume if you hear it for more than a couple seconds, someone's down and you need to find them and get them yeah. out of there. So. so Transponder, kind of the same, these avalanche beacons, same idea, but you got to turn yours on to actually start getting the feedback. Yeah. Um, and they're, interestingly, I did find out while I was researching these that uh, the, like, most high-end versions of these that they have mm-hmm. are actually capable of having the data for specific stuff, like, mm-hmm. this is a woman, this height, this name, and they, as a practice, don't do that. Mm-hmm. To prevent people from prioritizing based on familiarity during searches. Hmm. So uh, the example I saw was if a guy is hiking with his wife and they meet another couple on the way and all of them have beacons, hmm. all of them will anonymize everything hmm. so that that person doesn't say their wife is further away, but the two other people are closer. The rational decision if you have anonymized data is to go and pick up the two people who are closer yeah. and save the person who's farther for later because you're more likely to be able to see, save those two. Yep. So if the one that's farther is your wife and the other two are the strangers, if you know it's your wife, you're going to help her, which means that you could be saving one life at the cost of two yep. rather than saving two at the cost of so one. So it's just eliminating even yeah. the chance for bias. And if you are the kind of person who wouldn't do that and you're like, well, they're closer, I'm going to save them first, then you would live with the knowledge that you killed your wife. Um, so as a practice, they don't, they don't anonymize the data because it keeps everybody in the most, like, you know, rational position. Mm. So, moving on from that... Um, uh, the past advice, sorry. Yeah. So, nobody... So, the, the, one, the one thing that uh, was reported in basically every story that I read was that when Jim first went missing, nobody was super concerned mm. because of how fit he was and how much gear he had. They were just kind of like, all right, you know, he probably wandered off. It's not a big deal. We're still going to look, mm. but it's probably fine. Um, so, I... Uh, yeah, so um, they launched the search at 5.30 p.m. search was led by the Eagle County Sheriff's Department uh, in conjunction with local search and rescue mm-hmm. and also the National Guard. So National Guard actually has a uh, high-altitude training center up near mm-hmm. Vail. That makes and sense. And that includes pilots who are trained for search and rescue, helicopter pilots. Yeah. So I mean, with, with the frequency of avalanches that you mentioned up there, it doesn't surprise me. That yeah, it makes complete case. sense. Yeah. So these are, this is actually a National Guard training station for exactly this. Yeah. Um, so they had multiple helicopters. I know it was at least two. It might have been more. But at least two helicopters mm-hmm. searching an 18-square-mile area from the air. Mm-hmm. They also had snowmobile teams, dog teams, and a total of 110 search and rescue people throughout the, the different teams. Yeah. These people searched this 18-square-mile area for five days. And, of course, they started with... On March 14th, on the evening of March 14th, they started by just walking up and down the trail, mm-hmm. looking for any tracks that indicated that somebody left. Yeah. But they said, and they were pretty pretty damn certain about this, they could not find any tracks leading off the trail. There was no sign that anyone had gone anywhere. Yeah. So, they started to expand the search. They started to look elsewhere. They started to branch out from the immediacy of the trail. Yeah. Which, of course, was the rational thing to do, to start with the trail. Mm-hmm. But... No, no evidence of somebody leaving the trail. Mm-hmm. So, they started searching further out, um, you know, and just, he was, he was a doctor, they figured, you know, even if he is hurt, he probably knows how to, how to fix himself up, and he's got a fully charged cell phone, and a GPS, and an avalanche beacon. Yeah. 
By the way, no avalanches were reported during mm-hmm. the search time. Um, Very important. There, there were no avalanches yeah. anywhere near the trail during the search. So it can't have been an avalanche that got him. Mm-hmm. Um, so they figured, all right, if he's really in trouble, he'll call for help. There was cell reception. He had his phone. You know, if he was in a state of, if he was not, like, severely injured, mm-hmm. he had both the training to keep himself alive, the supplies, and a phone to call for help. Mm-hmm. He didn't. Mm-hmm. Um, so, the lack of a distress signal may have actually delayed some of the more um, intense search efforts in this case. Yeah. So... Uh, from March 14th to March 18th, helicopters, dogs, snowmobiles, and foot teams searched the area around the trail. Snow did not indicate that uh, anyone had left the trail or had skied or snowboarded off the trail. There was no snowboard tracks either. See, that was something that I was formulating in my head. Is like My thought was, depending on where he was found, maybe he wanted to go ahead so that way he could snowboard back down to meet his friends later. But they were planning a camping trip. They, they were going to be up there for a for Yeah. A few days. It was not planned for them to go up and sn- snowboard down. Um, no, but my point being is, like, that morning when he was like, I'll keep going, maybe in his mind he was, he was saying, I'll just hop off, snowboard down, and meet them on the trail yeah. later. So yes, that's possible. Potential, yeah. Yeah, and he, it was cross-country time. snowboarding. It was a yeah. split snowboard for that purpose. He wasn't yeah. like, you know. Um, so, I, uh, yeah, and the weather during the, the five days of the search was mostly cloudy or sunny throughout and uh, it snowed lightly a couple of times, but I didn't find any evidence of, like, super heavy snowfall until March 18th. March 18th, it snowed, I think it was some ridiculous, like, 18 to 24 inches. And remind, just remind, dumped it. when was the initial trip? March 14th. March 14th, got it. So for five days, they heard nothing from him, nothing at all. Um, and yes, to answer Becca's question that I just saw, uh, if the avalanche beacon uh, isn't activated, you can still track it. Mm. It is... Um, the one that's that you activate yours to find others. From what I understand, again, I could be wrong about that. Got it. Snow safety is not my forte, um, but I, I'm my my understanding is that if somebody is working and active, you can find them. Mm-hmm. It might be that they that you have to be like within a certain. My guess is you got to be within a certain distance, um, but it is weird that they didn't find him using that. So I don't know, maybe his was off, but I didn't find any information on that part specifically, so I don't want to speak on it. Um, so uh, over the course of this five days, again, 110 searchers, helicopters, dogs, snowmobiles, nothing. So that's another missing form one point, by the way. The dogs could not pick up a scent. Um, for about 20 days, he was just presumed dead because they had no other explanation. Yeah. He hadn't been seen. Uh, they got up to the top. There were no tracks leaving from the top. There was no evidence that somebody had snowed from the top. He just It seems like he did not make it up to the hut. Mm-hmm. He might have, but there's no evidence that he did. Um, but at the same time, there's no evidence he left the trail. Mm. On April 3rd, 2014, Dr. McGrogan's body was discovered by some backcountry skiers near Booth Falls, uh, about 4.5 miles by air from where he had disappeared from the trail. It is important to notice that Booth Falls uh, is not the, the location. There is a, a fall of mm. significant height, um, but it is not where his body was found. It was found beneath the falls, but it was found beneath the falls as in below them on the mountain. It wasn't directly beneath them. So he was far enough away that it didn't seem like he had fallen. Mm. Um, Sorry, uh Strike back and reverse like two sentences. I was checking to see how exactly the beacons work. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, so where he was found, he was found mm. beneath Booth's Falls, but he wasn't actually like at the bottom. Mm. It didn't look like he'd just fallen down. Yeah. It looked like he he was further away. Yeah. Um, and since it wasn't liquid, he can't have been carried by the current. Yeah. It was frozen. And on the day he was found, it was actually 18 degrees. Mm. So there is, at no point during this trip... Was it above freezing? Was it above freezing. Got it. Um, and you gotta remember we're up in the mountains. Yeah. So even if it were above freezing, it would still be very cold. Very cold. Yeah. Um, so I, uh, he was so he was found at about ninety six hundred feet, so about okay. fifteen hundred feet in elevation change from where he went missing. Um, he was missing his boots. He was missing his gloves and his coat, but he was still wearing his helmet. That is another point, by the way. 
uh, another profile point, missing clothes. Mm-hmm. So, his snowboard was nearby, but without his boots, he could not have been using it. Mm-hmm. His backpack still had his cell phone, still had his GPS, and still had his avalanche beacon. Now, again, I don't know exactly what model of avalanche beacon he was carrying. Mm-hmm. Um, also, just in terms of like some context clues yeah. for uh, avalanche beacons... It seems as though uh, the range for most of them only works about between 40 to 80 meters. Yeah. And what it does is it sends out a beep, which when you turn yours on to receive, yours then beeps. It beeps in, louder and louder as you get closer. As you right? get closer to the person. Yeah. yeah. So that would explain why, is that they would have to be within 100 yards of him. Yeah. And just the likelihood of an 18 square mile search with only 110 people that you're exactly. ever going to be within 100 yards. And apparently... Unless you find them. Apparently the, the battery life on them mm-hmm. is only like... 250 hours and send mm-hmm. so, so it's and receive is like 50 hours so yeah if that yeah um all right so where were we though uh uh just yeah so, found that close, yeah, yeah so there's no reason based on what they found there's no reason to believe that his cell phone was not working when he went missing mm-hmm. it was working but i think it was dead got it um i couldn't find confirmation either way but i he didn't use it. Hmm. So, again, we're 20 days from the end of the search. Yeah. So we are 25 days from when he went missing. Hmm. His cell phone had no indication that it was broken or that it was dead when he... Because hmm. it, it was working at 8.30 a.m., Yeah. which means that it was probably working for the rest of the day, especially yeah. if he wasn't on it, if he was just hiking. Yeah. Um, now, cell phone use would explain why he didn't have his gloves on, but it doesn't explain the lack of a coat or the lack of boots. Yeah. Um, and he didn't use the cell phone. There's no record of him placing any calls or sending any texts, and that's from, like, the the provider side. Yeah. They checked with the phone provider, not just on the phone. There was no evidence that he had used the Do phone. Do we know the low temperature that it got to at those times? Uh, I mean, during the day? During the night. During the night, it's cold. Yeah. Like, zero degrees. Yeah. Because um, my only thought would be, if he for some reason went off trail... Didn't and then couldn't find his way back. Didn't go to the cabin. The undressing could have been paradoxical undressing from hypothermia, but it would not take him more than five days to go hypothermic. Yeah, and also like if he went off the trail and couldn't find his way back, why wouldn't he? Why wouldn't he place a call? Yeah. Also, I want to point out he could see Vale this entire time. From another very yeah. interesting point. So it's a lot like the Aaron Hedges one. Yeah. There's that's there's the one part of the Aaron Hedges case where he sits down on a rock overlooking Sweetwater Ranch and just or Sweetgrass Ranch Sweetgrass I think I think so yeah where he looks he's overlooking Sweetgrass Ranch just drinking out of a thermos and never went looking for help it's the same thing here where if if James was conscious and thinking clearly then there's no reason that he would not call for help or at least not walk for help yeah um and then there is uh the the case of how his body was found. Mm-hmm. Um, I also want to point out that where he was found was searched mm. before this. Like Again, in the first, weird... I, I think it was on like the second or third day of the search, they they covered this area. Yeah. It, again, it was only four miles. Of course, it was twelve to fourteen on foot, but the helicopters absolutely searched the area. Yeah. So they didn't find a body there. What was the uh, foliage coverage? Like in the area where he was found, yeah, some, but not to the extent that you wouldn't be able to see tracks. Got it, or a body, yeah. And you gotta remember, these are guys who are trained for this, yeah. Um, yeah. Oh, for sure. I'm just curious yeah. in terms of like spotting from a helicopter, how like you know, hard or easy was it? Mm-hmm. But what this indi- what this suggests is that he was alive during the first five days of the search, yeah, which means he why didn't he call for help, yeah. Um, now, uh, when they did the autopsy on his body, they found that he had sustained head trauma, hmm. a broken femur, and broken ribs, as well as some internal injuries, which are are um, consistent with falling from a great height. Got it. I, I think the number I remember hearing was like 70 feet minimum. Um, but he can't have fallen. There's He wasn't in a position where he could have fallen. He The falls were there, but they weren't close enough that it was like he had just fallen over. Hmm. Also... How would he accidentally fall off of a frozen waterfall? Unless he started at the top for some reason, and yeah, um, it, there, there's just there's no there's no reasoning. And somebody in the chat did just say it sounds like uh, intentional suicide, but 
there were no signs that he was mentally unstable or unwell or considering suicide. And any, any, I yeah. mean, this and is, this was a trip that had been planned for over a year. Yeah, and this is like you know, this is probably a little outside of our pay grade at the moment. But were there any like life troubles going on or not that I'm aware of? Yeah. There, there was essentially no, and part of the missing 411, like, the way that they decide which cases to cover is they look into, was there any sign that this was foul play or intentional self-harm? Yeah. They didn't find anything. Mm. Of course, as I said, we didn't use missing 401 for this one um, because I wanted to do the research myself. Yeah. But no, there is no indication from anything that he had intentions of harming himself, nor that any of his friends had intentions of harming him. Um, so... Uh, where was I with my notes? Um, the broken femur and the yeah. head trauma, things like that. Yeah. Also, by the time he was found, mm-hmm. there were eight feet of snow on the ground in some places that he would have had to traverse. So it's almost entirely impossible that he could make his... that First of all, that he could make his way through eight feet of snow. Yeah. But also that he could make his way through eight feet of snow without leaving tracks. Yeah, the fact that there were no tracks whatsoever is just weird. Yeah. Um, so that's, you know, the autopsy, they ruled it an accident. Um, I mean, it's just a weird, cause let's say hypothetically he fell from the falls. Mm-hmm. Why would he go? I mean, unless the man wanted a really like cool picture of himself at the top of that he took all alone after deliberately going missing for five days. Yeah, like it just doesn't make sense. No, like it they, doesn't. there has to have been something else that occurred prior to that yeah. for that to make also, sense. Also, he can't possibly have survived the weather. No, for that long. No, he didn't have the he didn't have enough food for twenty five days. He did not have enough clothes for twenty five days, mm-hmm. and it was getting down to zero degrees every night. Like this, there is absolutely no way mm-hmm. that this could possibly have. And he could have gone that far, you yeah. know. Um, and why? Why would he not have contacted any of his party at all? Exactly. It, it, there's just there's there's no rational explanation there. No. Um, and in order for his body to be where it was mm-hmm. after them searching that area, I think on mm-hmm. the third day, the chance that he could feasibly have survived three days let alone 25, yeah. is pretty low. He would have called for help if he was in the right state of mind, which implies one of two things. Either he was delirious mm-hmm. and not thinking straight. Which, the question is, what caused the delirium? What caused it? Um, yeah. You know, we're not in a place where he could have accidentally eaten, like, a mushroom or some berries. Unless he really went digging. Yeah, like, there's, you're not... It, in the winter in Vail, Colorado, on the side of a mountain, you're not going to accidentally eat anything psychoactive. When there's already several feet of snow on the ground. Yeah, and you also aren't going to be delirious and not leave tracks. Yeah. So even if we... That, that's the thing here. We'll get back to it. But uh, ignoring the part where there were no tracks, mm-hmm. he would have had to either be not thinking clearly mm-hmm. or he would have had to be unconscious. Yeah. You can't move while you're unconscious. Correct. You leave tracks while you're delirious. Yes. So it's almost certain from the details of the case that he was taken mm-hmm. somewhere. How did they not leave tracks is, of course, the the biggest question here. Because if you think about it, like the only way it could have been something that didn't leave tracks is if it's something that can fly or something that can move exclusively through trees. Yeah. Um, you know, something that's going to snatch you off the ground, pull you into a tree, and then travel with you. And, I mean, eagles are big, but they're not they're, that big. Yeah, there are some birds that are big enough to carry a grown man, but... What birds? Eagles. Certain eagles. Mm-hmm. Look it up. There are eagles that can carry a grown man. They're, dude, eagles are bigger than you think they are. I've seen eagles in, in person. But he, I'm not talking about bald eagles. <laughs> Bald eagles are not the biggest eagles out there. Also, you see them in person, but they're at the zoo, and you don't realize how big they are up close. They are terrifying. They are massive creatures. Um, wait, you find it? I'm looking. Looking up, looking up, looking up eagles. Yeah, the, the in North America, a bald eagle may be able to carry up to seven or eight pounds if conditions are ideal. Mm-hmm. Uh, but even the most largest of eagles in the world will not be able to carry more than like 10 to 12 pounds. I don't know about that one. I've definitely heard it. That's what if a hawk can pick Archie up, 
That's what forestwildlife.org says. I don't believe that. So. Also, who says a hawk can pick Archie up? Uh, I'm, see, I'm, I'm looking it up. Like, yeah, e eagles are big, but they're not that big. I, I've heard that they can pick up, like, dogs. I don't know, maybe I'm wrong. It's possible. But then it confounds it even more, because then it couldn't have even been a bird. Yeah, exactly, like, yeah. the pterodactyl out here kidnapping people? Um, yeah, apparently the greatest weight compare. Um, this is on Cora, but apparently the greatest weight carrying capacity record is in the name of a bald eagle by lifting a 15-pound mule deer. Bald eagles generally weigh between what quarters. What 15-pound mule deer are they? I don't know. Mule deer are bigger than that. Was that a baby? Might have been. All right, More we're off track. Yeah, we um, but yeah, so point is, unless some sort of gigantic bird we've never ever found, apparently, can lift up a grown man, an, an adult-like man, carrying his backpack, because he was found with his bag, Yeah. then it can't have been a bird. No. That leaves, what, something that swings through the trees? As far as I'm aware, there's not any native primates no. to the Rockies. No. There are no primates native to North America. Nope. So, that we're aware of. Yeah, that we're aware of. Um, so that leaves, you know, th there, there's even limited supernatural options. Yeah. Um, yes, History Daddy, there, there have been suggestions that it was aliens. But there were also... <laughs> Hand gesture. But there aliens. were also no <laughs> UFO sightings. Yeah. Usually... Uh, there's at least a sighting. Also, usually people who are abducted come mm -hmm. back. Yeah. So, I, I don't really know in that case. Uh, the, the theory that holds the most water for me is the dimensional rift idea that he, you know, somehow slipped into a separate dimension and ended up somewhere else. Mm-hmm. Which obviously is pretty unscientific, but yeah, you know, the or the uh, Wendigo, I guess, because that would explain how it was something that could move without leaving tracks. Yeah, it's um, a great question. But yeah, so that's that's the case. Uh, the profile points for missing four hundred one. This checks off, by the way. Our mm. national park. There is elevation change, sudden weather change, boulders, cave systems. Uh, no scent trail, and he was missing clothing. There might be more, but those are the ones that stuck out to me. So naturally, I, I don't know. I'm uh, I'm curious. Let me know in the in the chat what you guys think, because this is another one that I have no no explanation for. It's up there with Tom Mesk and Aaron Hedges. I think this one's actually even more confusing than those two, because in this case, if he if he left the trail. Mm -hmm. At any point, there would have been tracks. Yeah. So, that is uh, that is our first story. I want to quickly get into our second one before we go to questions. Um, so, for those of you who are subscribed to Patreon, I wrote a post about this. Uh, and I, I'm going to read it. Um, but if you if you want to uh, keep up with this, I'm hoping to post some more about these as, as I kind of dig into the history behind it. But uh, for those who don't know, one of my favorite topics is the uh, historical accuracy of the Bible mm -hmm. and just finding times when it is historically accurate and times when it's not and then reconciling like all right could there be symbolism here I just I just find it to be an interesting puzzle to solve yeah for sure um, you know for example there's the uh, the basically from Adam leaving the Garden of Eden mm -hmm. to today is a little over 6,000 years yeah according to the Bible mm -hmm. we're pretty sure that's not how many like, we're pretty sure that didn't happen. Yeah, just, so just trying to discover is, is there symbolism in the numbers? Yeah. Um, could it be you know a way of measuring years differently or something mm. like that? I uh, so I like I, I enjoy looking into that stuff. So for this one, I, I want to lay the groundwork. Um, it has been believed for a very long time that the oldest written versions of the Bible, mm -hmm. um, the the Tanakh, the Torah, all of that, were from like the six hundreds mm -hmm. BC. Yep. We had nothing, nothing religious, especially prior mm. to that. Yeah, at least in terms of Judaism or in terms of Judaism, yeah. yes. 
So, uh, in March, a archaeological team at Mount Ebal mm-hmm. in Israel uh, discovered a little tiny tablet. It's about two. It's about two centimeters by two centimeters. It's mm-hmm. tiny. Yeah. But on it is uh, is a curse written in ancient Hebrew. And that curse includes the the term Yahweh. So it is, according to, uh, this is the Times of Israel, uh, archaeologist Dr. Scott Stripling and a team of international scholars held a press conference on Thursday in Houston, Texas, unveiling what he claims is the earliest proto-alphabetic Hebrew text, including the name of God, Yahweh, ever discovered in ancient Israel. I want to make it clear. Uh, the punctuation here is that it is both the earliest proto-alphabetic Hebrew text and has the term Yahweh. It is not the earliest one with the term Yahweh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it was found at Mount Ebal, a place known in Deuteronomy 11.29 as a place of curses. I have my Bible right here so I can read you Deuteronomy 11.29. And it shall come to pass when the Lord thy God hath brought thee unto the land, whither thou goest to possess it. Thou, thou shalt put the blessing upon uh, Gerizim and the curse upon Mount Ebal. So mm. Deuteronomy actually says, and put the curse upon Mount Ebal. Yeah. Now, for a long time, that's kind of been viewed as a, gen- a generalization. Like, yes, the curse will be upon Mount Ebal. Yeah. It seems like they quite literally put the curse <laughs> on Mount Ebal. Like, Someone Like, did. they yeah. wrote it down and put it there. Which is kind is of Is that what actually. they meant? I don't know. But, uh... So, to continue reading from this, uh, if the late Bronze Age, circa 1200 BC, date is verified, this tiny 2 centimeter by 2 centimeter folded lead curse tablet may be one of the greatest archaeological discoveries ever. And I agree, that's obviously editorialism, but I agree with that because this all but confirms something that I have believed for a little while now. Which is? So, traditionally, the dating of Exodus mm-hmm. is around 1500, in terms of, like, the, when the events are said to have happened. Okay. 1500 uh, BC. 1500 to, BC. To clarify, yeah. In my opinion, that is far, 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 far too early. It, I got the it's spinning okay. wheel. It's okay. I had to... um, so, I think that's far too early for a number of reasons, but the one that really stuck out to me was when I was actually reading Exodus. Mm. Um it is said that the Jews helped build the city of Pi Ramses. Also, it's important that the, the term enslavement mm-hmm. in Egypt is probably not completely accurate. Um, it was probably more like a, a servant class. It's unclear whether or not... Uh, like The term slave is not used in the Bible for this. But we were in slavery! It, it, here's the thing. Today, we would recognize it as slavery. Yeah. It, in Exodus, it's... This, the, the term slavery isn't used. Um, yeah. Also, widely believed myth that the Jews uh, built the pyramids, that Jewish slaves built the pyramids, that's yeah. not true. Um, the timing doesn't line up. Mm. The Bible doesn't say they did that. Yeah. What the Bible does say is that the Jews helped build the city of Pi Ramses, which was built under Ramses II. Mm-hmm. And Ramses II lived in the 13th century. Uh-huh. Which means that the Jews could not possibly have left around 1500 BC. Uh-huh. They must have left sometime before uh, 1200, sometime between 1300 and 1200. Mm-hmm. Now, traditionally, the author of the Torah, the five books of the Torah, which mm-hmm. are uh, Genesis, Exodus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and Leviticus, mm-hmm. traditionally it's Moses. But a lot of people have argued that it probably wasn't Moses that wrote them down. They're probably just credited to Moses as a, um, you know, an orator. Mm-hmm. as the originator of the tradition. But if that exodus did occur mm-hmm. around 1200 BC, mm-hmm. that means that Noah actually could be the person that wrote this down. Because what this proves is that cool. the Jews, if if peer review agrees mm-hmm. that this is 1200 for dating, this has not been peer reviewed yet because it's only been out for a month and a half. Um, but essentially, I... <laughs> This would prove that it was written and that Moses would have lived at a time where he could have been the one writing it down. I know for non-Christians and non-Jews that might not be nearly as exciting. Yeah. But just from an archaeological standpoint, I want everybody to understand that this is quite possibly one of the most groundbreaking archaeological discoveries of of the century. Hmm. Um, th- this would be akin to finding, like... Um, 
God, this 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 would be akin to finding, you know, a, a tablet that names Achilles and Patroclus at Troy. Like that's mm. that's the level of which. That'd be yeah, cool. like it. It this would yeah. If you found a grave for Achilles at Troy, that's what this is. Like think think how yeah massive that would be for archaeology. Yeah. Um. So it's just a really incredible story. It's something that, you know, it, this is a once in a generation, if not longer, kind of thing. So I just wanted to bring it up because I want to pe- keep people up- get updated for what that means. Um, also, uh, just some, some contextual stuff around here. Exodus says that uh, Jacob, Joseph's father, mm-hmm. entered into Egypt with uh, 70 souls. So it makes sense that there wouldn't be Egyptian record of the Jews entering Israel. Also, after only 400 years, the Jewish population still wouldn't be that large. Maybe a few thousand. Mm. So, it's it makes sense that it wouldn't be recorded with them leaving either. Also, this coincides with the late Bronze Age collapse. So, there was enough going on that it's not shocking that yeah. the Jews leaving Egypt would not be recorded by the Egyptians. Yeah. But that it would be a major event for the Jewish people. Yeah. So, this would also prove that the uh, Jews were in Israel as early as 1200 B.C., um, traditionally, they were there even earlier, went into Egypt, then came out of Egypt. But, um, you know, I just wanted to bring that one up because I find it fascinating. I think um, it's a worthwhile story to tell. Yeah. So uh, I think with that with that explained, because I was just excited about it, um, <laughs> you know, let's go into, uh, let's, let's go take some questions. I'm going to scroll back through and find uh, what has sure. already been sent. But yeah. Should we give them the rundown for anybody who's not familiar? Sure. Uh, if you are new to the program, we do a 10 to 15 minute question segment at the end of our... Uh, non-guest segments when we have guests they are closer to 30 minutes yep. um, and during this we take questions from the audience we answer super chats first and uh, that's basically it we do have donation goals that we do for fun we do. Um, Food Network episode has been hit for the month of May so we do have to do an episode of us that making uh, dishes uh, the next goal for $500 we will commission and print a fleshy, uh, a fleshy boy that will be um, a a 3D printed uh, Dungeons and Dragons style minifigure. Mm-hmm. At 7:50, um, I will ingest a Carolina Reaper live on the podcast. Love it. Um, and for a thousand dollars, you guys get the sexy calendar. Um, which, in order to get that, I've got to become sexy first. So, what do you mean become? Or we could just Photoshop me to be hot. What I guess. Mean, what um, do you mean I become? I'm chunky right now. I got. I, well, according to all the YouTube and Instagram comments, uh, I've, apparently I've put on weight. Uh-huh. Um, well, people keep fair. commenting Harry Potter got chubby, and I'm like, first of all, <laughs> I still don't understand Harry the Potter, Harry Potter. I don't, thing. I don't see it either. I've never seen it. I've been no. told it my entire life that it looked like Daniel Radcliffe. I think it's. Literally... I'm not even that much younger than Daniel Radcliffe, like maybe uh-uh. a decade. I don't see it at all. I don't see it. No, like at this age, if I looked like Daniel Radcliffe, I would look like Daniel Radcliffe. Yeah. I don't look like Daniel Radcliffe. I'm trying to figure out if there's anybody you do look like. Though. Dylan Minet from Thirteen Reasons Why. That that when Thirteen Reasons Why came out when we were freshmen in college, I had constant. He looks like a he weird. Lo- he looks like nineteen-year-old me. He looks like a weird blend between you and Lopolito. That's fair, um, but to get into uh, the the questions we have received so far, uh, Noah Isaac for two dollars. Thank you. He says, "Yo, my first donor on this channel. Love you guys. Thank you, Noah. We appreciate you as well." Um, Appreciated. History Daddy uh, said the aliens thing. Thanks, Ryan. Yes. Um, uh, Photoshopping your faces on Buff Dudes would be funny. Do you mean like the YouTube channel Buff Dudes, Buff Dudes, or just like generic chads? <laughs> um, someone said uh, we need a shirt of a Wendigo doing the gritty. Oh, God. Uh, I don't, I don't know how a... that would work. I guess we'd have to draw three Wendigos or something. I just want to know why the gritty now all of a sudden is getting like a bunch well, of like. I think attention. the Wendigo will be sturdy with it. Uh, I had a friend of a this is from Flow Cage I had a friend of a cousin who dated a person whose lawyer represented a Wendigo whose doctor said that the Wendy stomach biome is too harsh for human diseases to survive that's a lot also Beck there's no way I'm having that gladiator superman thing done by the time sexy calendar would need to be shot gladiator superman the thing that I showed you the thing that I sent in the group. 
Um, I haven't looked at the group today. No, 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 not today. Like a week or so I'm, ago. I will have to go look through it. It's this thing I based it off of Maximus's armor from Gladiator. Oh, that thing. Superman yeah, thing. Yeah, okay, I see what you mean now. Yeah, yeah. there's no way that's, that's going to be done. It, um, I feel like it'd be fun for Halloween or whatever we end up doing, but... Aiden is sexy chain. I think that's oh, in God. reference to you because it's from History Daddy. Oh, good God. Um, also, I'm realizing I look like Love from Chernobyl with my hair right now, and I don't know how to feel about it. Yeah. I was watching I clips of that this morning. I don't know if I mentioned it as much uh, as I intended to, but I, I want to point out, um, when when Jim McGrogan was found, mm -hmm. he had head trauma. Mm -hmm. He was still wearing his helmet. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The helmet did not display signs of fall damage, to, to my knowledge. I might be wrong, um, but from my understanding, the helmet did not display signs of fall damage. Yeah. Weird. Which is very weird. Um, <laughs> which, what does that mean? Somebody took the helmet off, hit him in the head, and put it back on, or, like, or, but didn't put back on his shoes? And or he took the helmet off. Bonked himself. Bonked himself. It was like, maybe I should keep that on. <laughs> <laughs> he took the helmet off, fell 70 feet, and you know what I'm like, you know what? This is going back on. <laughs> it's like, we don't need to do that a second time. Oh, uh, that's pretty funny. Uh, about the Shadow People that's not video that did a while died. back. I did the sh we posted the Shadow People video on Friday. What do you mean a while back? <laughs> yeah. Uh, but this is from Katie Arnold. About the Shadow People video you did a while back, I saw him once in my room. The only features I remember him having is that he had bright yellow eyes and a big grin. I didn't sleep in my room for a week. I mean, yeah, I don't blame you. I don't like that. Um, I've never heard of the grin before. I'll have to look into that. Um... The more Missing 411 stories I hear, the more I consider the existence of the Thunderbird. Valid point. That's a video I've been meaning to do. Um, Thunderbird is a cool one. I have a book that has uh, all the info about it, too. Let's see. Be careful about talking about Judaism or ancient Hebrew. It may summon millennial. Yeah, that's not great. She'd actually have to know Hebrew in order for that to happen, and based on the way that she pronounces it, I don't think she does. Um, she's moved on to, like, politics, which... Oh, that's 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 a sandbox we don't want to play in. No, uh, we refuse to do political content on this channel. Um, yeah, <laughs> this is a place where we'd like everybody of all different walks of life to be able yeah. to come together and have some common and ground and just enjoy some some mysteries and some lore yeah, and not worry about you know. Let's focus on what we have in common CNN and not what is different from us. Yeah, yeah. Um, although I said goblins weren't Jewish and got called anti-Semitic, anti so. I guess, I guess you know, there's no safety. I was gonna even, say, even the goblins are politicized. Um, <laughs> Why is everything political now? Okay, uh, let's see what else we have. Who denied a reactor blowing up recently? What? Huh? Where'd you see that? I feel like I might be missing context. Have T8... You've uh, denied a reactor blowing up recently. Tech Aiden as Sam... Right. Heather, what did you mean? Yeah. Heather, please explain. I don't understand. Is there a reactor that blew up? Did Faces I on Sam and Dean, that would be good. Um, Shadow People video reactivated my childhood trauma. <laughs> my uh, well, no. Uh, so, as mm. as for the, the issue of the Bible not using the term slavery for the Jews, uh, it would use the term slavery for the Jews. Because the Jews yeah. were the ones being, quote-unquote, enslaved. Yeah. Um, so, it if they were, if it was slavery, they probably would have called it slavery. Yeah, I mean, um, I, don't, I don't see why they wouldn't. Yeah, the, the KJV does not use the term, does not translate anything as the term slave. Um, certain translations will interpret uh, the Hebrew to mean slave. Certain ones will interpret it to mean servant. Mm -hmm. um, nobody denied that Chernobyl melted down. Or exploded. That's exactly what happened. It did explode. That's very true. It exploded and then it melted yeah. down. A lot of things happened to Chernobyl. Yeah, like pretty much everything that shouldn't happen at a reactor, specifically a nuclear reactor, happened. How many, how many things can we do that you shouldn't do? Huh. Um, 
the fifth episode gives you all of the things that they did that they shouldn't have done. Oh, I'm sure done. they did plenty of things they shouldn't have done. Oh, you'd be amazed. Um, on the subject of the folded lead on the mountain, I didn't think ancient Jews could be so literal. <laughs> <laughs> it does seem very literal, right? Like, and put the curse on Mount Ebal. I just like the idea of, like, Moses being like, and God said to do this, and then being like, We did it. <laughs> when you say put the curse on Mount, like, do you mean, like, Ooh. say it? Or, or, like, literally, like, yeah. write it down and put it up there. And Moses just being like, you know, he wasn't very specific. <laughs> like, or, let's just do both. Or, or, or just, like, simply, yes. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Moses is up there standing with the Ten Commandments, and he's like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, 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 this is all I got. Uh, yeah, also, there, there, of course there was no graphite on the ground. What, 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 what about graphite? Of course, there, there was simply no graphite on the ground. I, I don't understand you, what that's you, in reference you, to. You didn't see graphite on the ground. What? <laughs> <laughs> you didn't see graphite because it wasn't there. What? Anyway. But, but I don't understand what the context was. It's more Chernobyl. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, but it was very interesting seeing, like, do the mental gymnastics, like, what did we talk about today that involves graphite? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, also, Kat said it. Kat wasn't even here. Yeah. Um, no, when he was told the core exploded, he said, you must be confused, reactors can't explode. Oh, 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 oh. Heather's making more Chernobyl references. But I, was it you that said? No. Well, wait, what? When he said the core exploded? I think, oh, <laughs> Heather, you're cheeky, and I like it. I don't get it. I said earlier that because of my hair today, mm-hmm. I look like Dyatlov from Chernobyl. Mm-hmm. They are making, both Kat and Heather now, or Heather first, I guess, and then Kat, mm-hmm. are making quotes that Dyatlov said in the show and just in real life. Took me a little too long to figure out that that's what you guys were doing. Well, I, Cap is a little bit more blatant, but Heather, well done. I like that. Benjamin Smith says, I saw a shadow person again. I saw a shadow person in my mother, my mother's cousin's house. They smelled of vanilla Cavendish tobacco and were hiding in the closet at the foot of the bed I was sleeping after football practice in high school. I was sleeping in after football practice in high school. Uh... Not that it matters, but I don't know if you mean football or soccer when you say that, because some of our viewers are from the UK. And it doesn't really matter, I guess, because it's not the keynote of the story, but that it, it's bothering me for some reason that I don't know which one. Also, I was miming thank you, History Daddy. I, I appreciate you appreciating me. <laughs> I appreciate your appreciation. But uh, yeah, I mean, if that's uh, if that's it for the uh, for the questions and the super chats, then um, I think that's uh, that's all. Yep. For this afternoon. That's it. That's um, all. I would like to. Like <laughs> 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 after slow claps on you remembering your own joke. Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, Archie's here. Alone. Oh, come here. that was. Come here, buddy. You want to be on camera? Very well done. Well come done. here. Come be on camera oh. before we close the show. He's is he not on camera here? No, I, I meant like I was gonna pick him up, but I guess he oh, just wants to be over there. No, who come around? Here. I'll ignore him. He'll come to you. Come here. There we go. Here we go. Here's boy. Okay, we have the boy. We have the boy. Uh, thank you, Cynthia. Much appreciated. <laughs> uh, Aylan looks like Scott Con on God. <laughs> Who's Scott Con? Uh, it's like way too fitting. What? If you watch Hawaii Five, you'll know why that's too fitting. Uh. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but see, but look up Scott Con Hawaii Five O and go to go to images. I just found out that Hawaii Five O, the one that we watched yeah. when we were in high school, yeah, is a like reboot. You didn't know that? I did not know that was a reboot. Go to images. Uh, let's see how. Oh, scroll down. Oh, I see it. I, I definitely see it. Yeah, no, but it's not. It's there's there's a there's a there's a piece. To, hang on. No, I get it. I get no, it. No, 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 no. You don't. <laughs> I think I do. Like, 
Thanks, Cynthia. There's something that you haven't seen yet. Oh, they're asking more questions now. Oh, cool. Um, oh, uh, why did I choose Methodism? Show. Because I like the Wesleyan method. It's that simple. Um, the Wesleyan method for Bible study is uh, just something that appeals to me. And um, I can talk about that more at length uh, on the next one. I just want to have to have some time to like go and um, you know dig into it and write down notes and make sure that I have all the facts before me before I start talking about the specifics, but I like the idea of using the Bible as your primary and, uh, you know, like, checking your biases with the Bible as your, um, your main resource rather than using, uh, like, doctrine and, um, and dogma like the Catholics do. There's not a good one where you actually see, like, him with it, but that's his car. Oh, and it's the same car. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's the same car I drive. Okay. Um, so, what's very fitting? I what's don't know your if you opinion knew that on more. cheese? Um, personally, I'm a big fan of cheese. I prefer my hard cheeses to my my soft cheeses. Same. Agreed. Um, cheddar is probably my favorite cheese to just snack on. Like I found out cheddar. I found out the name of my favorite cheese over Easter. It's Gear. 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 Hmm. David McLaren says, can your next weird Bible podcast be about David? No reason in specific. I wonder if it might have to do with his name being David. Um, but yeah, look into the Wesleyan method if you're if you're interested in different uh, Christian sects. I like it. Um, Gruyere cheese. Gruyere. There it is. That's the correct pronunciation. Yes. My favorite, if I'm just eating cheese, is cheddar. But if I'm doing a sandwich, it's Colby Jack. Sandwich or burger, Colby Jack every time. Oh, I like pepper jack on a burger. 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 I like, I like burgers. <laughs> yeah. Sure, you do. Um, oh, well. Happy for you, I guess. Uh, no, Isaac says oh. any love for the milkman. Thank you. Um, if somebody put a Wendigo in as a supervillain in a comic book, would that be cultural appropriation? I would say no, as long as you're faithful to the lore. Um, what culture would it be appropriating? Okay. I guess, yeah. Um, here, here's the thing. There's, you know, I personally, I wouldn't know. Personally, I'm not a huge fan of the oh, whole... Oh, God. He's yeah. fine, he's fine. Of, uh, you know, the way in which the term cultural appropriation gets used. I feel like it's way overused. Um, and, and in many cases is used in uh, circumstances where cultural appreciation would make more sense mm -hmm. um taking the native american version of the wendigo mm -hmm. and portraying it faithfully in media i don't think that's cultural appropriation i think that's cultural appreciation mm -hmm. um especially as long as you know you, you don't change it for your own purposes uh and you don't use it to vilify native americans we don't um, like that you know my the way I'd go with it as, as a fiction author myself is portray it faithfully, uh, mm. do it right, and, um, you know, and include an acknowledgement about the Algonquin people. Uh, most Native Americans I've spoken to when it comes to uh, talking about their folklore and media, they like it when they see it portrayed, mm -hmm. but they've also told me that it upsets them when it's portrayed improperly. Yeah. So uh, that, that would be my, my advice uh, come, as somebody who has spoken to Native American folks about it mm. is... As long as you're being faithful, as long as you're respecting the tradition and the culture and the lore, go for it. I, uh, but don't, you know, screw with it. Uh, opinion on mayonnaise is that it's good in moderation, depending on what it's with. Uh, also, History Daddy's asking, uh, what's our favorite British person? Just in particular, cool British person we like. When we say British, somebody who was born and raised in England. England. Yes. Specifically, England. Yes. British. I have nothing nice to say. <laughs> well, I, I like you, Ryan. <laughs> Ryan, you're sweet. Uh, but mine, mine. We we all know mine. Uh, who? British person? Oh, Henry Cavill. Yes. Um, Good old Henry. I, I think in terms of like uh, famous British people, it would probably be Tolkien. Although he's South African. Is he? Mm-hmm. Didn't know. Um, that. Yeah, that's kind of hard. Uh, that's pretty funny. That's kind of difficult to, to say. Um, I like C.S. Lewis. Uh, 
Are you just going to be pretentious about it? I'm trying to think of <laughs> people that aren't authors. Um, <laughs> just like someone born in the last half century? Roughly? Uh, from England? Yes. There's a lot of options. Um, I, I like Stephen I like Robert Bateman. Madden's work. <laughs> I'm going Richard Madden. Richard Madden. I'm going to apply. Uh, Richard Madden Scottish. Hmm. I'm gonna say Harry Styles for him just because. Kit Harrington. I like Kit Harrington. Kit Harrington's great. Yeah. Um, it's not Harry Styles. Harry Styles is fighting gender norms and losing. Um, have you seen those outfits he's wearing? Come on, man. Oh, Russell's here again. Hey, Russell. How do you it's, uh, I, don't, I, I don't comment on fashion because I don't know enough about it. I was thinking about having a villain entering as the modern antlers type and then midway gets bodied by a traditional one. Ooh, I do like that. I do like that one, uh, T.L. Lancaster. That's that's great. Um, I, in fact, I think that would be a really cool concept. Mm-hmm. Um, don't make either of them the good guy, though. Definitely don't do that. <laughs> um and be careful with your portrayal, because uh, Wendigos, I've seen different portrayals. I've seen from Native American sources both that they are mindless completely. I've also seen versions where they're more like insane humans. Um, I'll see if I can find the exact story I'm thinking of, but there's one story of uh, some Native American men who go hunting a Wendigo that's terrorizing their town, mm-hmm. and they cut off its legs. I. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it can't move, mm. but the thing's still alive and it can talk to them and have conversations. It's just, like, insane. Interesting. Uh, and when they come back to check if it's dead, it's sucking the bone marrow out of its own legs. Um, so, in some cases, it's just pure insanity. Yeah. Uh, which does lead to the, the possibility that maybe, like, this all developed... Or, like, if this isn't something that genuinely exists, mm-hmm. the possibility that it developed out of a prion disease um, would, mm. would be one possibility for the, you know, the origins if this isn't something that's real. Uh, to be fair, yeah. I had a creature mimic my many dog barks, my many dogs barks in the woods once, Northern Virginia area. Any idea on what supernatural explanation could be? Let me write that one down and get back to you on it. Um, can you pay me a pen? Um, I will say the there's got to be pens that aren't still in here, laying around <laughs> here somewhere. There I don't are. know how we always end up dragging <laughs> a new pen. No. Are you stealing the pens, Archie? If they were socks, you sure as hell would be. Yeah, that's true. There's like um, three of them on the desk out there. Yeah, I know. I know. Um, okay. So. Let's do uh, a hard out at There is, of course, I... yeah, I know. There is the uh, the Adlet from Inuit folklore, but that wouldn't be in uh, Northern Virginia. Adlets are uh, half-human, half-dog hybrids um, that are, uh, interestingly, the story for that comes from um, this woman has children with a dog because she doesn't want to marry a man. Um, don't ask. Uh, yeah, I know. So this, this woman, this Inuit woman has children with a dog, uh, and half of them come out white, like Europeans, Mm -hmm. and half of them come out half dog. She sends the half dog ones onto the mainland to live, like, in Canada, and sends the, uh, half, and sends the white ones back over east to Europe. Um, so... Well, that was said. Yep. That's the video where we started off saying this one's about Inuit people doing a talking style. I uh, I remember. Um, I just forgot about the details of that one. Let's see. Uh, All right. All right. I'm just not even reading that one from you, David. Go sit in timeout. Go sit in the corner. (laughs) All right. But that's going to do it for tonight, I think. Uh, Thank you guys so much for watching. Um, if you haven't already, smash the like button. Smashing. Just give it a, give it a good old slap, um, you know, and, uh, I, I guess that's, that's that. Yeah. Yep. All right. Uh, thank you so much guys. And we will see you on the next one. Have a great week, everybody.